Well, I mentioned in the first service that I always preach better when there's good music. I didn't say my preaching is good. I said I preach better when there's good music. And I have no excuse here at the South. We have some of the best music around. Very thankful for Ken and Katie, and they did a great job and appreciate their ministry. Yeah, someone wanted to clap. Let's clap for our musicians <clears throat> and for their wonderful ministry. I was studying through the book of, uh, or just reading through the book of Second Chronicles, and it talks about all the Levites that were given the responsibility to lead the singing and to play the instruments, and it says they were to play the instruments with excellence and skill. That was one of the requirements. You just throw, don't throw someone up here who says, you know, I'm just going to sing and, and uh, try to bless, bless the Lord when they've not been gifted to minister and serve. Uh, appreciate the heart, but the Bible says there should be some giftedness. Well, we have gifted people here, and we praise the Lord for them. My favorite sign when I was on vacation. I love to read signs, bumper stickers, signs in windows, whatever it might be. My favorite sign came from Fishtown, Leland, Michigan. My wife and I were up there having dinner one night, and after dinner we were walking down the quaint Main Street, saw a delightful bookstore and walked in, as we often do, and we're looking at the books. And in the back of the store, through a narrow door, was a fantastic section just for children. And above this door were these words, adults must accompany children. Okay, you see that quite often. But here's the sign I really loved. Underneath it, it said, children unattended will be given a shot of espresso and a free puppy. <laughs> now, the only thing that would have given me more delight would be to see a five-year-old walking out of there with a cup of coffee and an adorable puppy on a leash. Then I would have known that that warning sign had some teeth. But you and I know that sign was meant to be humorous, and it was. It was humorous, and it was fictitious. I want you to know that the warning signs from 2 Peter chapter 2 are neither humorous nor fictitious. Let's open our Bibles to 2 Peter as we continue our study. How then should we live? And I want to say a word of thanks to pastors Doug and Ben for their faithful exposition of the Word, and I'm going to follow upon their teaching in 2 Peter chapter 2, and we'll focus primarily in the last few verses of this very interesting chapter. But just by way of review, note that in chapter 2, verse 1, the Scripture says, But there were also false prophets among the people. Remember, that connects us to what has gone before. At the end of chapter 1, we were told that there are true prophets who speak the Word of God, not something that they have invented. It's the Word of God is not of human origin, but God revealed a message to men, His holy prophets, and they were carried by the Holy Spirit, and they recorded the faithful, reliable Word of God. There are true prophets, but remember... There are false prophets. Verse 1 of chapter 2 says, They'll be among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Did you know that there are false teachers in the church today, among the people of the church today? Did you know that? 
That's what Peter says. They were back then, they are today. And these false teachers are destructive, effective, and deceptive. Destructive, verse 1 says, they introduced destructive heresies, denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. They're effective, verse 2. Many will follow their shameful ways. And they are deceptive. Verse 3, they want to exploit you with stories they have fabricated. Peter says, the stories I give you are not cleverly invented stories. They came from God to holy men by the Holy Spirit. But these false teachers invent their stories. Now, verse 4, if angels who sinned are going to be judged... Verse 5, if the people of Noah's day who rejected the message from this preacher of righteousness are going to be judged. Verse 6, if the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to be judged, don't you think these false teachers are going to be judged and everyone who follows them? Rhetorical question with an obvious answer. Yes, they will. Verse 9, for the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials but he also knows how to hold the ungodly until that final day of judgment. So the character and characteristics of these false teachers are being described in this chapter. They're bold and arrogant, the Bible says in verse 10. They're like brute beasts, verse 11. Creatures of instinct. They do what their nature tells them to do. Creatures of instinct. Remember that. There are blots and blemishes in your feasts. When you guys gather together as the people of God and you're worshiping the Lord, maybe at a love feast, these guys aren't bright spots. They're, they're not advantages. They're disadvantages. They're like blemishes and blots on an otherwise pure and godly church. Verse 14 says they seduce. Verse 18 says they entice. And all they do, they try to do to lure people after their teaching, and in the end, the people are destroyed just like the false teachers. Remember verse 19. They promise people liberty, but they themselves are slaves of depravity. Remember that. Slaves of depravity, creatures of instinct. So we get to verse 20, and now Peter wants to give us a little more insight into who these guys are. He says, For if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in the pollutions of the world and overcome by them, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on it, to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is, that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. As we come to the end of this warning section in 2 Peter, 
I hope we can get a little better insight into who these false teachers really are and maybe even how to see them in our day and time. The first thing that stands out to me in verse 20 is that these false teachers have experienced a period of relief. Notice the word escape. They've escaped the corruption of the world. Now, there's a very similar phrase in chapter 1, verse 4, that talks about true Christians escaping the corruption that is in the world because of lust. We participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world. The phrase sounds almost identical, doesn't it? Except the word for corruption in chapter 1, verse 4, is different from the word of corruption in chapter 2, verse 20. NIV uses the same English word, but they're different. The corruption of chapter 1 is this internal essence of corruption that produces pollution. And in chapter 2, verse 20, the word pollution, the creation of the internal corruption, is what is being talked about. In other words, what a true Christian escapes from in chapter 1 is the essence of the lust, whereas... The false teachers are escaping only from the effects, the pollution. So, these false teachers want to become religious, right? In fact, that's how they escape the corruption. Verse 20 says, they do it by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now, we read that phrase and we think of a person that's truly saved. But don't be mis mistaken the phrase does not always refer to true Christians because you can know about Christ and not know Christ, right? So these guys get religious by knowing more about Jesus and for a period of time in their life, they're not participating in the defiling activities of our polluted world. So they stop being drunk and they don't experience the debauchery of drunkenness. For a period of time, they pull away from sexual immorality so they don't experience the STDs, the sexually transmitted diseases, and the broken relationships that immorality produces. For a brief period of time, they're not living in the world of gossip and lies and backbiting. They've removed themselves from that world to be in the church world, and for a period of time, they've escaped the pollution, the outside defilement of the world's activities. And they do it by knowing Jesus. When we go to Israel, we have a guide who is a wonderful guide, and I speak so highly of him. And if he happens to listen to this webcast someday, I want to make sure I'm giving a, a proper portrayal of our wonderful guide. He knows the Bible better than most of us, and yet he's never personally trusted Christ as his Lord and Savior. Nikita Khrushchev, remember that guy? Leader of communism, so popular in the 1960s, who wanted to stamp out God and any belief in God, grew up in a Russian Orthodox home where he was taught the Bible, and he personally had memorized most of the Gospels. Fascinated with Jesus. Hated God. 
Liberal theologians of our day love studying Jesus and love talking about his philosophy, but they don't entrust themselves to him as Savior and Lord. A lot of knowledge, they're attracted to him. And if you begin to pursue Jesus, there's a lot of other things you stop doing. You might escape the pollution that is in the world as well for a period of time, cleaned up on the outside. But somehow, things are not truly changed on the inside. Notice in verse 20, secondly, that these people, they return back to their former practices. The word entangle is used in verse 20. By the way, this is another fishing metaphor, as was brought out by Pastor Ben in the earlier part of chapter 2, where I think it's verse 14 It talks about seducing and verse 18, enticing. Those are fishing metaphors, and here it is again. This time, the reference is to the net that someone would get entangled in. It's where, for for a period of time, through a gradual process, these habits they have been avoiding are now creeping back in. They're becoming intertwined in the warp and woof of their life. They become entangled again with that which they had avoided. And not only entangled, they become overcome by these habits. The habits now conquer them. The habits now dominate them. They avoided them for a period of time, but now the habits master them. And the ones who talk so freely about freedom, as it says in verse 19, are mastered by sin and the habits they tried to avoid. Sinful habits avoided, hibernate, and come back stronger than they were before. In your desire to live a moral life, you may stop doing some things, but often those things will come back and with greater force than they had before. And so it says in verse 20, they're worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. Verse 21 also talks about their ruin now. Their their condition is one of worse off than they were before. In fact, verse 21 says, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness, which is a reference to the primitive uh, way to describe Christianity. The way referred to Christianity. Jesus is the way, and those who follow Christ Walk in the way. It would have been better for them not to know the way than to know it and reject it. To whom much is given, much is required. Light rejected becomes a darker darkness than ever before experienced. Lilies that fester smell worse than weeds. And the end is worse than the beginning. That's what it says in verse 20. A man who escapes from prison for a period of time enjoys the exhilaration of freedom until he is entangled again, recaptured. And his end is worse than his first sentence. 
The time merited for good behavior is gone. The sentence now is firmed up and maybe even added to. He's worse off than he was before. He's gone from first to worst. By the way, this is, this is a phrase you hear sometimes in the, in the athletic world. Uh, a team going from worst to first. For instance, in the year 2013, the Boston Red Sox lost, 30, or lost 93 games in the baseball season, and they were at the bottom of their division. The next year, 2014, or I guess it was 2013, they won the World Series. So here they are at the bottom one year, and the next year at the top, and the sports writers write the message, they went from worst to first. Peter is saying these guys have gone from first to worse. It gets bad. In fact, this is a quote, almost a direct quote, from what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11. One time Jesus was preaching, and he said, you know, some of you try to clean up your own life under your own strength, and it doesn't work. You like the message of morality without divine supernatural power. So you go about cleaning your own life up, and it's kind of like the guy who had, you know, demons in his house, and he got rid of the demons and swept the house clean but didn't fill it with anything else, and seven demons came back, more powerful than the first, and now the house was in a worse condition than it was in the beginning. It's exactly what Jesus said. The condition now is worse than it had been before. In other words, if people come close to the kingdom and they hear a lot about God and a lot about Christianity and maybe know a lot about the Bible, but they will not turn from their sin and trust Christ, their condition is worse than had they never heard the gospel at all. Ignorance is better than apostasy. That's what Peter is saying. Take heed, you that hear, and you that think you stand, lest you fall. So to make sense of this, Peter says, now let me give you the reason for all of this. Brief period of time from escaping, then getting entangled again, now their lives worse off than they were before. Here's the reason all of this has happened. Look at verse 22. What is said in two famous proverbs is true of these false teachers. One proverb, by the way, comes from the book of Proverbs in the Bible. The other proverb we can't find in the Scriptures, but it was well known and even has some history in the civilization of Egypt. The two proverbs are these. The first is a dog returns to its vomit, and secondly, a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. Peter says this is the reason that these false teachers go back to the things that they avoided for a brief period of time. This is why they're dominated by them and their end is worse than their beginning, because they've never really changed. They're still the same as they were before. Let's look at each one of these proverbs. The first, the dog returns to his vomit. Very beautiful thing to consider just before lunch. This comes from Proverbs 26 and verse 11, by the way. Now, I'm not a dog person, but I'm told that this indeed is true, that uh, a dog, if it has something that agitates them within, it's eaten something, uh, taken in some food or whatever it's eaten, often not food, 
that is giving them problems, it will vomit that thing up, right? And if you don't clean up the mess, later on the dog will come back and eat up the very thing that bothered it. It'll eat up the very same stuff that it got rid of before. For a period of time, it feels better. But in the end, it returns to its corruption. Why? Because the dog is still a dog. Its nature has never been changed. Now, take the, the proverb of the sow. Um, by the way, in the second century, archaeologists have found a story almost exactly like this biblical one. It's in the e Egyptian uh, civilization. It's the story of a bicar, of a, uh, of a high car, 200 years before Jesus. And this is how the story goes. A father writing to his son. My son, you were, like, you were to me like a pig which had been in a hot bath with people of quality. Now, think of the ancient bathhouses, remember, uh, that the rich would frequent. And people would go into this bathhouse, and they would sit, and that was a place of fellowship and community for them. Suppose a pig goes into this bathhouse with rich people. He said, my son, you were just like a pig who'd been in a hot bath with people of quality. And when it came out, it saw a filthy pool. It went down and wallowed in that pool. And then it came out and said to its friends, come and bathe with me. So there's the parable. Sounds just like Peter's parable, right? Now, don't think that that doesn't mean it's not inspired. The Bible writers often used other sources to bring in to the canon, the inspired writings of Scripture. In the Old Testament, they used historical documents of the kings, genealogical records that were found by other people. Luke did research and added into his gospel things that he discovered. The Apostle Paul quoted from poets of the day, and now Peter uses maybe a writing from the Egyptians, but at least a well-known story. It's teaching the same truth as the proverb of the dog. The sow cleans up and looks a little better for a while, you know, you go to a 4-H fair, and what do the kids do? They clean up that pig, and they put a bow around the pig, and they put some perfume on the pig, and people say, boy, that's a great-smelling pig. I wonder if the pig has changed. I wonder if the pig has decided this is really a better way to live. No. The moment it sees a mud hole, there it goes, right? And jumps right in. The pig jumps in the mud hole because it's still... A pig, its nature's never changed. The dog for a little while felt better, and the pig for a little while looked better, but they went back to their old corruption because that was the nature and essence of their heart. So what do we say about the false teachers? Their ways betray their heart. What you do tells us who you are. You can fool people sometime, but you cannot fool God. You can for a little while clean up your act, but in the end, the essence of your nature will win out and dominate. 
And so Peter says, remember this, these false teachers were never Christians. They came close to the kingdom. They knew a lot about Jesus, but their message is destructive, and they were phonies all along. It's not that they were saved and lost their salvation. It's that they were always dogs or always pigs. And by the way, what does God call his children? Sheep. Never dogs. Never pigs. So what do we take from all of this? Well, first of all, we need to understand that false teachers are in the world today, and false teachers are deceptive, and they are effective, and they are destructive, and the only way that we can know what is false and what is true is to know this book intensely, to study the Scriptures, to hide it in our heart, to be like the noble Bereans who whenever they heard a message preached, they would scour the Scriptures, they would search the Scriptures to make sure what they were hearing was true. So if Pastor Doug is preaching, Pastor Ben, myself, a guest preacher, one of our missionaries. doesn't make any difference who it is. You examine the Scriptures to make sure that the message is true. Don't let false teaching get into your life because as you think, so you are. Your ways will betray your heart. Secondly, make sure you're not faking it like the false teachers did. Have you ever heard the name Josh McDowell? Josh McDowell is an author and a well-known speaker for many years, worked with Campus Crusade, and he traveled the world speaking in universities, spoke in many local churches too, and Josh McDowell wrote something one time that just still to this day sends chills up and down my spine. He wrote this, of all the Christians I've met over all the years in all the different places, I'm convinced of this, 50% of them are not real Christians. Now, I don't know if that's true. That's what he said. I think half of the people I meet in churches who claim to be Christians are faking it. I don't think that's true, South. But what if the percentage were 25%? What if it were 10%? What if 10% of the people who come to South Church on a regular basis, I'll call this their church home, have never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior? They're faking it. They're good. They act like Christians and talk like Christians and sing like Christians and for a while escape some of the corruption in the world, but they're still dogs and pigs at heart. What if? That scares me half to death. And I run the risk today of offending some true Christian with a sensitive cons conscience with a message like this, but I'll risk it for fear of the person who thinks these, they're saved when they're not saved. And they're in that 10% or whatever it is. You say, can that happen at South Church? It certainly can. There's a wonderful family in our church, Bob and Marge Walker. Bob was our business coordinator for many, many years. And when I came to South, Bob said, I have a son I hope that you can get to know. His name is Sam. Sam Walker grew up in this church. 
He went to all the Sunday school classes. He went to daily vacation Bible school. He prayed the prayer, was baptized, did everything everyone else did, knew the language, but when Sam got into his teenage years, he walked away from the Lord. Bob said, I hope you have a chance to get to know him. And I did. We had one thing in common at that time, golf. Well, not really in common. He's good, I'm not. But we loved golf. And so we went out golfing one time, and I got to know Sam. People had been talking to him and challenging him. And even at that point in time, he was beginning to rethink things. And finally, I don't know exactly how it happened, but Sam came to Christ and trusted the Lord. He was attending south, and he wanted to be baptized. And at the old church, he stood in the waters of baptism and said, many of you people know me. You've seen me grow up. You thought I was a Christian. I said I was, but I was not. I just got saved last week. I've been faking it. I never gave up my sin, and I never truly trusted Christ. But now I have, and Sam says, I want to be baptized. And we baptized Sam, and to this day, 20 years later, Sam and Kim Walker have a family that honors God and loves Christ. Can it happen at South? Absolutely. In fact, this is the place where the devil likes to see, sow the seed of the counterfeit. I don't know your heart, but God does but I know what the word says. False teachers produce false converts, and in the end, their ways betray their heart. Let's pray. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let me say to you, if you are a true Christian, if you have confessed your sin and you've asked Jesus to save you, I'm not saying you have to be perfect, But remember that verse in the Bible that says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Remember that? That's what I'm saying. If you're in Christ, you're no longer a pig or a dog. You're a sheep. You belong to God, and you're going to act differently. And if you bow your head and heart this morning and say, you know, I'm not really sure whether I've been faking it or not. I'm not sure if I'm a real Christian. Or you might even say, I know I'm not a real Christian, but I fooled a lot of people. My friend, you haven't fooled God. God will not be mocked. And your end will be worse than your beginning. Oh, but if you'll come to Jesus even this morning, he says, the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never reject. Come with an honest heart to trust Christ, and he will save you this morning. Lord, May we beware of false teaching and false teachers. And Lord, may we also beware of our own heart. May we be truly your children. In Jesus' name, amen.